1: because the status of religious freedom around the globe is really cause for considerable concern. Our guest today, one of the foremost experts, really, in the subject, Dr. Tom Farr, Serves as president of the Religious Freedom Institute. He has been working on global issues of religious freedom and persecution for a couple of decades now, including a decade spent at the U.S. State Department Office of International Religious Freedom. Dr. Farr, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Delighted to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, let's start just kind of with the numbers. The most recent Pew analysis of global religious freedom is really shocking, isn't it? It is indeed. 83% of the world's
0: population, according to the study, which is, I think, roughly the 10th study put out, uh, give or take, a year or two. They've been doing this for about 10 years, and they do it on an annual basis, and they have a sophisticated methodology by which they measure religious freedom in every country in the world. And this year, on this subject, it's the worst of all. 83% of the world's population lives in countries where religion is either highly restricted or very highly restricted. So that just means that more than four out of five people in this world live in countries where, in effect, religious freedom doesn't exist. And millions of those people, maybe even tens of millions, we don't know all the statistics on this subject, are subjected to violent religious persecution because of the way that they believe, the way that they practice their religion. And here we're not talking about people persecuted because they're violent. We're talking about, by and large, peaceful religious people who simply are not acceptable in their own countries. And uh, those who persecute them are either governments or, in some cases, they're private actors such as terrorists or mobs Mm -hmm. or non-governmental groups that have a sense of impunity are unable to do this. So it's a, I think it's a crisis,
1: really. It's a global
0: crisis, but one that we don't talk about enough.
1: And you used that term in your testimony recently before Congress. Um, so it's been getting worse, not better. Is that right? That's right.
0: I don't know of any other way to read the, the data than uh, they get worse. You know, it's not just about statistics. I think anybody that reads the newspapers about what is happening around What's happening in China? What's happening in India? What's happening in Nicaragua? I mean, there were three different continents, and the story is the same. People are being treated savagely because of their religious beliefs and practices. So uh, I think the statistics and the stories bear this out. It's getting worse.
1: One of the most shocking stories that we really haven't found someone to, to talk about here on Freedom's Ring has to do with the treatment of a large Muslim minority uh, in China. Uh, what can you tell us about these uh, re-education camps and what the Chinese government is doing there? Right. Uh, Well, for those that aren't familiar with China, it is divided into provinces
0: like many countries are. And the northwest province, Xinjiang province, is made up mainly of its Uyghur minority, which is an ethnic designation, the Uyghurs. They are uh, uh, sort of Central Asian people who have, as I say, an ethnic characteristic. But the vast majority of these people are Muslim. So we refer to the Uyghur Muslims of China. They've been there for a long time. They're citizens of China. But the Chinese have never quite accepted them. There are other non-Uyghur Muslims in China that are part of the ethnic majority. But the Muslims of this province are being treated so viciously by the Chinese government that, as you say, it's a shame that uh, we don't know more about it. But let me just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, The Chinese have historically had what they call euphemistically, re-education camps. Anyone who knows history, their blood should curdle when they hear that phrase. They're nothing but high-tech concentration camps where people aren't being prepared for, you know, death in gas chambers, but they are being forcibly re-educated, which simply means their, their minds and spirits are being altered, or at least that is the attempt to take their religious beliefs away from them so that they will no longer perceived as a threat to the state, in this case, the Chinese state. This is a totalitarian act. We've seen it throughout history. We've seen it in the fascist and communist regimes of the 20th century. There's nothing deeply mysterious about it. What is mysterious is that it is happening today, and we're not talking about it. It's not, generally speaking, in our newspapers. Uh, It is a subject of our foreign policy. But it hasn't generated nearly enough, and certainly in my view, enough attention about what we should be doing about it. People are being rounded up and put into these camps, and there may be as many as a million of them
1: in these camps. A million people in these re education education camps, camps yeah. essentially concentration
0: camps. I want to use that phrase carefully that is a uh, a phrase from the history sure of of, of the jews that is a very sensitive one i don't mean to say that they're being starved to death and put into you know killed with gas chambers that is not happening or not yet but they are being brought into these camps and the chinese have done this since the communist revolution it is basically brainwashing it is basically re-educating them quote-unquote in order that they will stop believing what they believe and become, quote, good citizens of China. It's barbarous, and uh, it is absolutely unacceptable in the 21st century that any so-called civilized country should be doing this to one of their minority groups, and it is a religious issue as well as an ethnic issue. It has political overtones, it has ethnic minority overtones, but it's also a rejection of the way these people worship And believe, Mm -hmm. and that is absolutely unacceptable or should be to all Americans.
1: So you mentioned there in passing that um, American foreign policy is trying to address this issue, you know, kind of as an outsider, you know, onlooker to the way our country relates to other countries. It's always seemed to me that economic concerns have trumped Human rights and religious freedom concerns. Now you've obviously been on the inside of trying to shape policy for a number of years. Um, I'm sure there's a you know an ebb and flow here as far as the significance of human rights. Is there more that we can be doing as a nation to put human rights at the forefront of policy, or that we should be doing? Well, I think there is,
0: and one of the things that I think this administration is probably doing better than its predecessors, is raising the issue rhetorically, making a a major bone of contention, if I might. Uh, This is not being done necessarily by the White House, but it is being done by the State Department, particularly by the man that is in charge of our international religious freedom policy, Sam Brownback, he's the Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. Uh, he has uh, he's been in office now for, uh, gosh, coming up on a year. He's really done some very, very good things, and he is pressing on this and other issues involved. However, I think your, the preface to your question, the economic interests that we have and the other interests we have are very important to acknowledge. Uh, if you think about it, if we all agreed and we don't but if we did all agree that china is a very bad human rights violator and we need to do something about it the question of what we could do is a very interesting one i mean the, china owns a lot of our debt so to speak it's like going to a person that holds your mortgage and trying to convince them to change their behavior it's very difficult to do and i don't want to suggest that our foreign policy could simply say different things or have different Uh, you know, talking points, that's a good State Department phrase, and we could get this done, that we could get the Chinese to change their behavior, because that's really what we're talking about here. And it's not just the Uyghur Muslims, it's the Tibetan Buddhists, it's the Protestants and the Catholics and the others who suffer much more periodically and less systematically than the Uyghurs are now. Nevertheless, the question comes down, what do you do about this? And it's not easy. It's not easy for a lot of reasons. One is, they are a huge country, They are not going to be dissuaded, in my view, by economic sanctions. I mean, it's like a drop in the bucket. And, you know, we could cook up a regime. I think we should do targeted economic sanctions or other kinds of sanctions on individual Chinese officials that we can determine are in charge of a particularly savage policy. So we we deny them visas to come to the United States.
1: Yeah. Dr. Farr, but, I was intrigued by something in your report about essentially con- showing the Chinese and convincing them with hard data of the benefits right. of religious freedom. I think and, that's where, I'm, where you have and, to end up. And, you know, this is something, though, that is also relevant to how we deal with local governments on land use issues right here at home, because they want to tax religious property because they value that for tax purposes more than they do for uh, the contributions that churches are making to the community. So this is kind of a universal issue, it seems to me, is, is understanding the value of religion and religious diversity and religious communities uh, and what they contribute to society.
0: You're absolutely right. And this is exactly where I wanted to go. It, it's true of any government. If you have an entity within your government, that you're persecuting, and you, and you learn that if I leave them alone, this is not exactly religious freedom, but it would be a start. Just back off. Leave them alone. They will become economically productive and solve other problems that you have. Everybody has the problem. Everybody, whether we're talking about a a local U.S. municipality or the Chinese government, they have it in spades, the need for economic growth, sustained economic growth. Religious people can contribute to that, and there's plenty of evidence. I think it's common sense. William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, who was a Quaker and who established religious freedom in the early years of that colony, said, come to Pennsylvania colony. We have religious freedom. It's good for business. It worked. He didn't have to have studies to understand that. But we do have the studies because it makes sense. So if you, if a religious community can convince the governing authority that we can help you in things that you need done. Here I'm not speaking of cracking down on other groups or totalitarian policies. I'm talking about things that everybody needs. And as I say, economic growth is one of them. This is something I think that we have not done well in our foreign policy but we could do and it isn't something that governments can can simply make happen but the united states government is uniquely positioned to establish a kind of permanent working group or some other institution that has chinese and is permanent first of all but it has chinese participation at all levels and the us government could bring in scholars present the evidence including chinese scholars about how this could have an impact on their society. This isn't something you do in one week or even one year, but it's something that over time could convince the Chinese. Even yes, I can hear maybe some of your listeners are saying, you mean the Chinese communists might be convinced? Yeah, let me tell you why I say that. After the Cultural Revolution, which you may recall was the time when Mao Zedong attempted to starve the Chinese into communism. and to kill religion literally, he failed at that, and his successor, Deng Xiaoping, when he decided that China needed economic growth and that communism was not going to cut it, he started a saying, this is important in China, he said, to get rich is glorious. And those few words began a revolution in China. It's a very practical point that I'm making here. Mm -hmm. If you need something, as the fact that you're a an authoritarian or totalitarian government can help. Imagine if we could convince the Chinese, again, this is not all religious freedom by any means, but leave these people alone. Stop doing these things to these Uyghurs in Xinjiang province. Make them feel that they're part of China and they will contribute to your economic development. I think it's an intriguing thing that we haven't tried and we should.
1: Well, I certainly hope we do make some progress in that area. We've been talking with Dr. Tom Farr, president of the Religious Freedom Institute, about global threats to religious freedom generally, and especially the situation in China. But we are out of time. Dr. Farr, I hope we get to do this again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. And we sure appreciate the work that you do. Thank. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.